The reading this morning is from Ephesians 2, 14 through 22. I will be reading from the NIV translation, but of course, if you want to pull it up on your phone in whatever translation you prefer, then we invite you to do so. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. God is good. All the time. God is good. All the time. Praise God. Praise God. So, it's Christmas Eve and... Uh, don't worry, the sermon will be short today, I think, uh, so you can get on with your family things and your Christmas whatnots. Um, but this is uh, one of my favorite passages in Ephesians, uh, where Paul is talking about reconciliation, is talking about uh, the dividing walls of hostility being torn down um, because of what Jesus did at the cross, because of who Jesus is, and so... In a world where we have a lot of dividing walls of hostility, amen, um, that seem insurmountable, that seem uh, impossible to break down, um, there's hope in Jesus Christ. And there's the knowledge because of Scripture and because of what He's already done that these walls of hostility can be broken down and that uh, we are working, we are living towards peace on earth and goodwill to all people. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. Uh, sometimes, though, when I'm arguing with family members, arguing with my wife, um, we're in a little tiff or a fight, sometimes the space between, to quote a Dave Matthews song, the space between is quite wide, right? It feels like an uh, impassable chasm, impossible chasm to cross. And I don't feel good. I know that other person doesn't feel good, and yet, whether it's pride, whether it's anger, whether it's stubbornness, uh, or the situation, just feelings and emotions keep us from connect reconnecting right at that moment. And so, that distance just feels so great. Are you with me? Have you been in that place? And it's like, I want to be together again. I want to be united again. I want to be having a good time and in good relationship again, but right now, it just stinks. It sucks. We feel so far away because of 
some dumb argument, some dumb difference. Yes. And that chasm between people feels so wide. Also, sometimes I feel very, very, very far away from God. Right? Whether it's because of my own shame, uh, because I've messed up in some way, or it's been a long time since I've prayed or connected with God, or just whatever. I feel that God hasn't been speaking. I'm in the dark night of the soul, walking through the desert period. I feel distanced from God, and it doesn't feel good. And yet... It's so hard to get on my knees and pray, or it's so hard to open my Bible and just try to listen and hear because whether it's my own stubbornness, whether it's my laziness, whether it's my pride, there's just that block, right? There's that barrier. And there's that, there's that wall that keeps me from taking that step of intimacy towards God or receiving the love that God has for me. The chasm between God and myself, between God and people, feels so wide, feels so distant. But in Ephesians here in the second chapter, Paul has good news for us, amen? And the good news is that no matter how wide that chasm, right, no matter how thick the walls of hostility, because of what Christ has done on the cross, that chasm is bridged. That wall is broken down. Amen? Are you with me, church? And, um, you know, as I'm reading, as I've been reflecting on this passage, uh, John, John chapter 2 also stuck out to me. Um, and this is where Jesus did his first, after Jesus did his first miracle, which is turning the water into wine at a wedding, which is a whole other sermon, which is great. Um, Jesus turns the water into wine, and then he goes into Jerusalem, into the temple, and he sees the money changers, right? And in the other three Gospels, this happens at the end of the Gospels, right? Jesus, it's part of his triumphal entry. We, we talk about it during Easter as Jesus is marching to the cross. But in John, John puts it in chapter 2 at the very beginning, uh, Jesus goes into the temple and there's money changers and he sees that and he gets upset. My, my father's house is a house of prayer for all nations. It's not supposed to be this marketplace where you're, you know, where you're using people, where you're charging people an exorbitant prices just to come to worship God. Instead, all people should have access to my father's house. So come, so he overturns, right? And we, we see kind of the frustration and the just anger of Jesus coming across. And, uh, and then he makes a statement in John chapter 2, verse 19. Jesus answered them as they're questioning him. What, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And Jesus says, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. Destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. And later on, you know, right after that, it talks about how the disciples remembered what he had said and after the resurrection they tied it to the resurrection right oh that's what he was talking about he's going to die in three days he's going to be raised again but at the time the religious elite in the temple and the people in the temple uh were confused were angered 
Right? What? Why? How dare he talk about tearing down the temple and the audacity to say, I'm going to rebuild it in three days. It took us, what, 46 years to build this temple. And he's like, I'm going to destroy it and raise it up in three days. Who is this Jesus? But you see what Jesus is doing here is he's placing, right? He's creating the metaphor of the temple, right? And replacing himself, my body, myself as the temple and saying, right? This is just a building, right? This is just ornamental stuff. Yes, it was built for the worship of God, but somehow we've lost it, right? The building has become less about the worship of God and the coming of people from every tongue, tribe, and nation to come and worship our God and have full access to God. And it's become a place where, you know, people are cheated or people are isolated out or people, you know, there's barriers and walls of hostility in this place. And so... Uh, Jesus is saying, no, I've come to be the new place of worship, the new, the new way in which people, all people, can access our Heavenly Father. <clears throat> so Jesus essentially replaces himself in the me metaphor of temple. Um, and, and we kind of understand this if you grew up in the church, if you read your Bible, we, that, ex that metaphor extends from the temple to the church, right? We, we talk about the body. We are the body of Christ. Christ's body is the church, and we are the parts. And Paul himself, in the, the first chapter of, of Ephesians, talks about how the church is the body of Christ, right? Um, in uh, chapter 1, verse 22, And God placed all things under Christ's feet, and appointed Christ to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way, right? Christ is, uh, we are the church, we are part of his body as the church, and, and Christ is the head and has all authority over this church. And so in Christ and with Christ's own words and everything afterwards, we know that the church is more than the building, more than the materials that made the building, more than the rituals or the ceremonies that are in the building, but the church is Christ himself, right? There's something that happens in Christ um, where we are connected with him, connected with one another, connected with God. Are you with me, church? You are the body of Christ, and Christ is the head of this body. And that makes a huge difference. And this is Paul's point. Something, right, something amazing has happened at the cross. Something amazing and has happened that it's changed the world. Everything will change. Everything will change, has changed, and will continue to be different, right? Um, when our traditions our houses of worship, our religion, get in the way of giving people access to God's love, God doesn't like it, <laughs> right? That's no bueno. Christ came to destroy and burst the wineskins to himself be the holy temple. 
Christ has now created a new community in him. He is the body and we are the parts. We are being built up as a holy temple. So let's turn to Ephesians here. Uh, so we're in Ephesians 2, but in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, uh, Paul kind of sets up uh, the vertical relationship uh, between humanity and God. Um, in verse 1, you were once dead because the things you did wrong and your offenses against God. And then he goes on to write, but God, rich in his mercy, brought us to life with Christ while we were dead in our sin. He did this because of the great love that he has for us. We are saved by God's grace, right? That great chasm because of sin, because of our enmity, because of our turning away and isolating ourselves away from God, that chasm, that impossible chasm, the space between us and God has been eliminated, right? We've brought, been brought near uh, to God because of what Christ has done at the cross. What was irreconcilable has become reconciled. And that's a message of hope. That's a message of, um, that's a good news. That's basically the good news message. Um, so we have this, the vertical, kind of the healing of the vertical relationship between God and humanity. And of course, in the great, but God, rich in his mercy, um, the, the great reversal that God brings in Jesus Christ to our situation um, is amazing. And uh, the other thing that I think about is in the Garden of Eden, Eden, the vision of, you know, Adam and Eve had just eaten from the apple and had just disobeyed God. And they, while they were once walking, right, just intimately with God in the garden, talking, you know, hanging out, they're now hiding after this ha happened. And that, that deep shame, when we feel ashamed, when we feel that chasm between us and God or us in community or us and our family or us and our relationships, that shame uh, compels us to hide right? because it's, that shame is the isolation itself, right? Being apart from the group, being not welcome into the circle or feeling not welcome is what shame is. And everything in us, right, is meant to be in communion with one another, in communion and relationship with God. And so when we're separated, we feel that shame. And that's why Adam and Eve are hiding, right? And so what God has done in Christ is to break down, right? He, from heaven, he stretched down his arm and said, come over here, right? Plastic man, come over here. Don't be ashamed. Don't hide. I want to be with you. I love you. Right? And Paul is saying Christ has made this possible. Christ's work on the cross has made this possible. And nothing that we do, right? Nothing that people do can make change this character of God. Amen? Right? It's God did it. God broke that chasm or bridged that chasm between us. We can't swim there, right? We can't run as hard as we can to get to God. We can't do that. It's God himself in his great mercy, Paul says, brought us 
to life. We can't bring ourselves to life, right? God brought us to life through life in Jesus Christ. Amen? So we're going, we're going to church right now. We're going to getting a theo theology lesson. So then in Ephesians, the second part of chapter 2, Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, uh, Paul begins to address the horizontal relationship uh, between the people of Israel and the Gentiles uh, in the church in Ephesus. Uh, because Christ is risen, he has broken down the barriers and brought unity between two groups worshiping the same God. And if you kind of, I know we didn't read from uh, verses 11, but in v verses 11 through 14, he talks about how you, uh, the Gentiles, who were uncircumcised, he talks about circumcision, and Paul is basically kind of extending the metaphor, right? In, in, in the Bible, biblically, in the Old Testament, the people of God, uh, males were circumcised in order to say, it was a ritual to say, we are part of the people of God. And so now Paul is saying, hey, it's not about the actual physical act of circumcision that makes you close to God, right? That's a, that's a metaphor. One, because that doesn't happen to women, right? Like, and two, like, um, the whole point is it's your heart, right? And you'll see in other parts of Paul, the circumcision of the heart. He talks about the circumcision of the heart. It represents, right, less about what you're doing to your physical body, but more about what's going on in your heart. You're saying, I am part of God's people. I am with God. I'm part of the covenants of old, right? The ancient covenants. I'm part of that. And, and Paul in Ephesians 2 here is saying, you who are once far away, who once, were once not a part of, right, the state of Israel, right, were not citizens, were, not, were foreigners and aliens, are now brought near, right? You have access. You, you are a part of God's people, which was the intent in the first place, right? We do know that God established that system, if you will, um, beginning in the Old Testament. We do have God's people set apart, right? These are, this is the people of Israel. Hebrew people are set apart, and the, nation, the other nations are Gentiles. But God never intended that to be, oh, we're set apart, we're the chosen people, so, right? We're God's gift, right? And it's just salvation is just for us. Faith is just for us. And because that person doesn't know how to do this or this or, you know, eats the wrong things or does that, that is not circumcised, then they're not of God. Um, but even in the Old Testament, God makes provisions for outsiders for Gentiles to become in, to come into the people of God and in the covenant with Abraham Moses uh, it's always right for the blessing of all nations God's intent is always to expand the table to expand the family to expand his household not to exclude and so this whenever Jesus talks about you know destroying the temple right or breaking down things He's talking about not destroying the law, as in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, I didn't come to destroy the law, to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it, right? To become the fulfillment or to completely fill up the intent of the law, 
Are you with me, church? And so if the law has missed its point, the point being that all people, all nations will be blessed and all people will have full access to the great Father above who made and created all of us, all peoples, if the intent, if that intent is broken, then we need to, right? We need to break down everything, right? The point of building up the temple and the church and the building is not to create more walls of hostilities, right? More separation with other people, but to open up worship of God. Are you with me, church? I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Uh, so in our passage, one thing to make note of is that there are six words in uh between verses 19 through 22 that share the Greek word oikos. No, not a high-protein, low-sugar yogurt. <laughs> but it's the same word, right? Oikos, the root oikos means household. And so there are six different words in different forms. So you can guess, right? Uh, you are no longer foreigners, ailers, but fellow citizens with God, peoples, and also members of his household, in verse 19, built on the foundation. There's this kind of household, housing, building metaphor with Christ himself as a chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is being joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling and God, in which God lives by his spirit. So oikos is one of the kind of main roots that what Paul is saying is hinging off of, this, this notion of household and building. And in the Greco-Roman society, the oikos, or the household, was the, the base, you know, building block of society. So... Later on, you know, we've talked about uh, the New Testament household codes, right? Where Paul talks about, you know, wives submit to your husbands, husbands submit to your wives, children obey your parents, right? All these household codes. Um, Paul is actually just riffing off the Roman household codes, but offering kind of a subversive alternative, a radical alternative to what's already the established kind of structure and the established structure is the oikos, the household, um, where everything is kind of hierarchical. Everything is under the father, who is the head of the household, and then wife and children and servants, uh, uh, and so forth. And then Caesar would be the head, right, of the household of Rome, right? So there's this hierarchy with Caesar at the head of the household. What Paul is doing here, though, is wiping that away and saying, yeah, we are a household and you are a household, but you don't belong to Caesar's household, right? You don't belong to the household of the empire. You belong to what? God's household, right? And in fact, we are all being built up into a holy temple. Right? So organic, right? And, you know, we've heard church, the church is not a building, right? We've left the church. The church has left the building, right? 
Paul right here is giving kind of that organic image of the people, all of us, rising up to be the holy temple, right? But there's more than this because there's ethnos involved, right? This enmity, this hostility is not just, oh, you know, X people and Y people aren't getting along. So, you know, now get along and we'll be one church. It's, right? It's Israelites and Gentiles, right? If you, if you read in Acts, right, the church of Ephesus becomes a church through Paul's ministry. And Paul, you know, the Holy Spirit comes on uh, the church, the people at the church of Ephesus. And all of a sudden, they're worshiping God and praising God and receiving the gospel. And they're in Acts, they're trying to figure out how then... Do these Gentiles who are following Jesus get to get along with right the established Jewish Christians, right? And they're talking, and Paul's talking with the people in Jerusalem, like, "Hey, these people are coming in left and right, but ah, you know, they're they're a little different. Like, what do we do? Do do, do men get circumcised? Do they have to stop eating pork? Like, what do we do? Like, it it, it doesn't fit, right? Because you know." The church is beginning to tear down all of the walls and the, the traditions and the forms that were culturally bounded, right? Tied to ethnicity, but not, right? They're ordinances, they're kind of rules, but they're not commands, right? They're not laws. And so they're trying to negotiate these cultural chasms, right? These hostilities. And there is enmity, right? There's real enmity and hatred, right? But Christ, uh, not Christ, Paul is saying in Christ, that's no longer there, right? The walls of hostility is broken. Just as I broke the temple, right? And rose it again, so too did I break the walls of hostility. And there's more. There's more, right? Because when we think about unity or reconciliation, oftentimes it's about two groups or more than two groups, one standing there, one standing here. And this group is like, yeah, let's get along. So come over here, right? And this group is like, yeah, let's, go let's get along. So you come over here, right? No, you, you wear a red bandana. <laughs> no, you wear a blue bandana. Right? You wave a red flag with a, what's a red elephant, right? And you go donkey, right? No, come, come to the donkeys, right? Whatever it is, there's polarization and like that chasm continues because we continue to, whatever group you're in, you continue to hold on to the things that identify you as that group, even when those things are meaningless. They're not God. They're not Jesus, right? There's something else. They're, it's nation, right? Or what culture, or how you dress, or social class, or race. We hold on to those things, but we define those things as righteous or religious, right? 
and say, this is the way, I'm talking about the church now, this is the way we worship. But even beyond the church, you know, this is the way we vote. This is the way that we look at this situation in the world. This is the way that we look at immigration. This is the way we look at this or this. And so that chasm is impossible. It feels impossible. Not just in the U.S., right? We know what's going on in the world. The impossible generations right? of tension and conflict and war. And it's a chasm, right, that seems impossible to cross. Right? Can there even just be a, a pause, right, a ceasefire, right, for the sake of the children, for the sake of those who are suffering, right? It's almost as if we prefer to be, have that space between, prefer to be in that. I know it's more complex than that a lot of times. Without Jesus, it is impossible. Without Jesus, true peace is impossible. Because Paul says, he himself, just as Christ is the church, right, his, his full body, Christ himself, his body, what he's done, the character of Christ, is the empowerment, is the essence, is the everything. Christ himself is our peace, right? But for Christ for, and for Christians, peace isn't just harmony or why, you know, just getting along and being happy with each other. Or this person makes some concessions and, and we're happy, right? What did peace look like for Jesus? We saw it in John chapter 2, right? I will tear this temple down and in three days right, raise it up. We can't, we can't just say peace comes without any sacrifice or without any death or without any crumbling of what we hold on to, right? Jesus understood that peace isn't happening and people aren't getting fed. And that is so important that we need to crush the system that's preventing the people from being fed before peace and reconciliation can happen. Are you with me, church? That's what we're talking about. And until we recognize what's really going on and begin to be a part of the smashing of the no good in order for the good to happen, then we're not doing the work of the church in the world. Amen? Amen. We have to have eyes to see, prophetic eyes, to see truth and to see pain where there's pain, injustice where there's injustice. And see how one group of people are hurting another group. And the church can't just be, right? We, we're not just about, oh, we're the nice people. And I know because I'm a nice guy. Right? Uh, Janice complains all the time. She's like, don't answer the door when there's a solicitor. Or don't 
answer the phone because pretty soon I'm going to be paying the person, right? It's like eventually my leaders in the church know too, right? Like don't give away money. Don't listen to people telling their story because I'm going to give away all of the church's resources and all the money away for every sob story out there. You know, I like to be liked. I want harmony. I want to care about people. You know, but because there's evil in the world and because there's pain in the world, right, we need to be able to stand there and speak truth and see the truth plainly and be like, and peace cannot happen until Jesus is in this situation, right, and, ch- and changing this, right? And, and so... Jesus is tearing down the temple, and we are being called to, we are, well, in, in Ephesians, it's the Jews and the Gentiles rising up together into a new humanity, that's the words, right? Into the whole, a new holy temple, right? It's not our temple, so you come here, and once you're here, you're welcome here. It's not this temple over here, right? You worship in Jerusalem, but our place is Gerizim, right? It's not Gerizim, but something new, a common ground, something that you had to migrate over and translate, you had to translate and migrate over, right, to a new humanity, a new building. And that's, that's the second piece of reconciliation is that we're not looking to have people come to our side, right, of the argument but we're looking for common ground. Like, where is the place that Jesus is calling both of us to come and be? And that, that means a place of insecurity a lot of times, a place where you're not necessarily fluent. You don't, you're not in control, and you don't get it, right? But it's, it's a place that both, both groups have to sacrifice and to let go of home, homeness or the sense of homeness in order to come together as, to be a new one. And I'll end with this story. A lot of you don't know um, the history of us coming into this building, the full history of us coming into the, this Linwood facility. We started in North Seattle and Northgate, um, um, uh, but then later moved into this building. And before we were in this building, there was another covenant church called Martha Lake Community Covenant Church. And actually, um, I had initiated with them long before our conference got involved. I had initiated with them and said, we had started to talk about merging and having a conversation about merging. They were down to 25 or so, you know, mostly older adults, no children. And we were young adults, you know, kind of, uh, and so I was like, hey, maybe we can help each other through synergistically by merging. And, I, you know, I heard, read all the literature and people were telling me, like, merging churches is really, really difficult. It usually doesn't work out because you're taking one vision and one ethos and another vision and another ethos. And you're, you're friendly. You're saying, we can get along. But eventually those differences come out and like, right? And it just goes, 
right? But they were saying all the right things, right? The pastor here, he was an interim pastor for a long, long time. He was saying, hey, come over and you can be the lead pastor. You can do 80% of the preaching. You can be, it can be your name. You can be the main, the main, right? Just come here and, you know, we need young people. We need, like, young, diverse people with, we need families, blah, blah, blah. And it sounded good. Yeah, yeah. I was like, you know, as long as we're in control, right? <laughs> as long as we're not around. Uh, so going back and forth. And it was, we were about to go through with it. And then our leadership had a time of prayer. And in that time of prayer, you know, one person's, you know, started to say, I feel like God is saying, pause. I feel like God is saying, pause. And another person's like, I'm feeling the same thing. Like, just wait. I feel like God is saying, stay out of it. That he's doing something in Martha Lake um, that only he can do. And we, we need to stay out of it and not meddle. Right? So I called their leadership and said, oh, we're going to back off. Right? Long story short, you know, a year later, the, clo- the church voted to close their doors. And, and then the denomination... Greg Yee, the superintendent, came and said, do you want to come, you still want to come into you know, this building? I said, yeah. And um, it was awesome. And, you know, some of our first services, we had the other group, the other church here, like in numbers, you know, and they're worshiping. But like each Sunday kind of things, you know, they kind of drifted away. Only Robin remained, right? Hey, Robin, if you're watching. Uh, (laughs) uh, But that's all to say that something had to die in order for something new to happen, right? And sometimes in the work of peace, something has to die in order to create room for something new to thrive. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are prince of peace as our children sang. And the voices of our children, may they lead us into the future and give us hope in you who are yourself, our peace, our hope in peace and true peace uh, and goodwill on earth. And so make us a church and a people that are ambassadors of true peace, the peace uh, that passes all understanding, the peace that only you have for us and for all of humanity. In your name, amen.